You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The Thing, which came out in 1982 and was directed by John Carpenter. It stars Kurt Russell, Keith David, Wilfred Brimley, T.K. Carter, David Clennon, Richard Dysart, Charles Hallahan, Peter Maloney, Richard Maser, Donald Moffat, and Jed the Dog. The genre would be sci-fi, horror, thriller. Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live. Inside. Where no one can see it. Or hear it. Or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to. But it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can beat one of those things! is the warmest place to hide. Happy 40th anniversary to a masterful sci-fi horror thriller from a true sci-fi horror master, which everyone pretty much shit on when it first came out. Granted, this movie did come out amidst a crowded summer marketplace just stacked with memorable genre pictures from E.T. to Wrath of Khan to Poltergeist to Conan the Barbarian to Tron. This time period was so competitive that this was not the only one among these films to flop. But yes, back in 1982, Hollywood was just on a relentless tear to find the next Star Wars, or Alien, two iconic films from the 1970s, which along with Jaws, The Exorcist, Grease, and Rocky, pretty much set the template for literally 70% of major studio output in the following decade. And sadly, the thing was dismissed as a weak alien-like pretender at the time of release which was not helped by the fact that likely its signature visual effects sequence also happened to feature a character's chest bursting open, just like Alien. Director John Carpenter was flying high after the unexpected recent success of both Halloween and Escape from New York. Wow, he was on a run at this time. But this movie was something arguably even grimmer or more nihilistic than either of those films, both of which at least featured their protagonists triumphing at the end, even under questionable circumstances. The Thing is just not a crowd-pleaser, nor was it ever meant to be. Hell, I recently had the privilege of seeing this in a surprisingly packed theater for its recent limited Fathom Events re-release. Like myself, the rest of the audience, we seemed pretty pumped to finally be able to see this movie on the big screen, and we all seemed to enjoy it even laughing at the right places. But no applause, no repeating of iconic lines, just mostly quiet admiration during most of the showing. Which is fine, because it's just not that kind of movie to incite a raucous response from the audience. Carpenter, along with screenwriter Bill Lancaster, crafted a somewhat claustrophobic chamber piece. Nobody trusts anybody now. We're all very tired. 
This whole movie has a very dark heart at its core. This is a story focused on paranoia and distrust. You have one group of about a dozen men who are isolated together working for a scientific research team. We basically witness the complete breakdown of this team and the deaths of most of them over 90 minutes. And it's all the result of a foreign element which first comes in the form of a friendly dog, which eventually metamorphosizes into, well, something else. Actually, several different something else's. This foreign element is, of course, the eponymous thing. And as one character early on describes it, I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. Indeed it is. Thanks to some very groundbreaking practical creature effects from visual effects wizard Rob Botin. The comparisons to Alien were actually apt, but in a good way. The transformations that we watch take place as this thing grotesquely attempts to take over the form of its victims as it, quote, absorbs them. It feels like the next logical extension from the chestburster and facehugger of Ridley Scott's 1979 classic. Carpenter, with a huge assist from Botin, of course, and the visual effects team, is showing us a creature that doesn't just penetrate its victims. It then turns them inside out. Yeah. My God, what was happening to him? If it had more time to finish, it would have looked and sounded and acted just like Benny's. I don't know what you're saying. That was one of those things out there, trying to imitate him, Gary. It's crazy, unnerving stuff to watch, and gratefully, it rarely feels gratuitous as Carpenter is smart enough to keep some of the gore at bay, never lingering too long or obscuring much of it within shadow. All the while, truly focusing on this set of characters and how each of them are reacting to some wild shit that's happening to several folks around them. It becomes increasingly difficult for this group to trust each other, as this alien life form might be inhabiting and or imitating them at any given time. This all leads to what I believe is the film's true standout sequence, which I will get to a bit later. Of course, The Thing is also a great showcase for the top-flight cast of grizzled actors surrounding Kurt Russell, who plays McCready, who is also just fantastic, playing a sort of protagonist who might not be as brave or as competent as he seems. We've also got the charismatic Keith David in one of his first roles, playing the defiant Childs, who's often going toe-to-toe with Russell's McCready. And Clark was human, huh? Which makes you a murderer, don't it? The always winning Richard Dysart playing the compassionate Dr. Copper just a few years before he would end up being among my favorites on the cast of the TV drama L.A. Law. And wow, that show just had such a great cast, by the way. Jimmy Smits, Harry Hamlin, Susan Day. Check it out if you can. There's also veteran that guy, Charles Hallahan, playing Norris, who apparently was a very patient fellow on set, allowing his likeness to be utilized in various ways while being clamped down in a box for more than 12 hours for that standout chest-biting sequence. Just so many others to mention, but I cannot leave out the Brimster, Wilford Brimley. He plays Blair, the smartest guy in the room in this particular scenario, who apparently just realizes it all too late to be able to do anything besides throwing more monkey wrenches into everyone else's efforts towards defeating this thing. He goes through quite a bit. He's worth watching just for the matter-of-fact hangdog facial expressions that we see from him as he is figuring out the utter grimness of the situation for all involved. And speaking of grimness, that of course brings us to the now legendary ending, which I find to be perfect 
but apparently pissed off audiences to no end. Funnily enough, I actually think audiences today would be more accepting of the way this film concludes. I mean, going back to seven, more than 20 years ago, we've had several big movies that had darker twist endings, which audiences still enjoyed. But a popcorn crowd in the 1980s just was not having it. Consider me so grateful that Carpenter stuck to his guns on this one. I personally still find that spare two men and a fire scene at the very end to be very satisfying, despite the ambiguous note that it leaves this story on. Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well, what do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. And now that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop, the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Of course, one key aspect of what makes The Thing such an effective thriller is the now legendary synth score from the late great Ennio Morricone. His main theme for this film is spare, but effective. It's mainly synthesizer with some strings added in for good measure, resulting in a sound that actually seems to pulsate at times, sounding both engrossing and kind of unnatural. We basically hear five notes repeated in a manner not that dissimilar from the Jaws theme, the iconic Jaws theme. And like with Jaws, we know that things are getting tense when those notes start to kick in. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Honestly, no talent was wasted in the making of this movie. But I would like to give a special shout out to an underrated animal performer whose contributions to this film's first half and the overall setup of the story to be invaluable. And that would be Jed, who plays the Norwegian wolf dog first making his appearance during the opening scene of the movie being chased by a helicopter shooting at him as he runs towards the compound of our main characters. Seriously, as dog performances go, Jed's work is truly impressive as he convinces the audience that he is in fact this alien life form pretending to be a dog. Every movement of his feels deliberate from the way he stares down those other dogs in the kennel in an utterly terrifying manner to one key moment early on when we see this dog eerily staring out the window at the return of McCready and Copper from checking out the Norwegian base where this dog, well, alleged dog, came from. You can seriously see the wheels turning as this thing, disguised as an animal, is plotting his next move. 
And then we watch as this dog just gradually ingratiates himself with most of the crew, setting up the chaos that will follow. No joke, it is so impressive that you just have to take notice. Jed was actually a Vancouver Island wolf-Alaskan Malamute hybrid who would also go on to co-star in quite a few other movies, including both White Fang films in the 90s, before passing away in 1995. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. McCready, the helicopter pilot played by Kurt Russell, who's really pulling off the mullet-beard combination like nobody's business, he becomes the de facto leader at some point. Though it's not because he has earned everyone else's trust, nor even really that he has a better understanding of this thing who has been starting to pick them off one by one. McCready is just the brashest of the bunch and seems to be the best at handling weapons, whether they be flamethrowers or even sticks of dynamite. McCready has intimidated everyone else to the point where he's able to rope them all, himself included, into taking a test where they each donate a blood sample, which will then be set ablaze with a blowtorch to see how it reacts. Actually, to see if it will react, since that would occur only if the thing is inhabiting that person. As each member of the crew has their blood tested with that squeaking sound of metal wire heated up from a blowtorch hitting a petri dish of their blood, the tension just ratchets up higher and higher. Watching Norris in there gave me the idea that maybe every part of him was a whole. Every little piece was an individual animal with a built-in desire to protect its own life. You see, when a man bleeds, it's just tissue. The blood from one of you things won't obey when it's attacked. It'll try and survive, crawl away from a hot needle, say. And it's all shot crisply by master cinematographer Dean Cundy, who was just in the middle of one hell of a run shooting big-time blockbusters, including Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, Halloween, Apollo 13, and one of my personal favorites from this era, Roadhouse. That's right. The camera takes us between close-ups of the blood to agonizing close-ups of each character's face as they are waiting on those results. Just a masterclass sequence of suspense. It eventually escalates with another demonstration of gruesomely effective violence and then actually culminates with what I consider to be one of the great tension-breaking lines ever coming from the late great character actor Donald Moffat playing Gary. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! This brings us to the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As I have said previously, Rob Bowton's creature effects are a true standout for this movie. You have this amorphous creature who can literally transform from anything into anything. It's quite impressive to see, especially using technology that is more than 40 years old, literally using everything possible from jello to bubblegum to eerily realistic looking prosthetics. For me, the standout effect still has to be the image of Norris's head upside down, actually sprouting two insect legs and just trying to skulk away, resulting in what is likely the second funniest line of the movie. You've got to be fucking kidding. <laughs> 
And this being Botin's first movie at the age of 22, it's just all the more impressive that he was able to pull off such an undertaking. Apparently, he was even hospitalized at one point due to sheer exhaustion for all the excess hours he was taking to work and rework various intricate effects on set. Botin and crew were nominated for the Best Visual Effects Oscar that year, only to lose to E.T. In my opinion, they should have won. However, he will have to share this award, this award, with the director, genre master John Carpenter. How he takes such an outlandish sci-fi concept and genuinely grounds it by collaborating with the best in the business towards crafting such a compelling paranoia thriller within such a spare setting, it's why he is now looked upon as one of the masters. In lesser hands, this film could have been a full-on gore fest, lumped in with so many others at the time. But the fact that what so many folks, myself included, still recall about this film decades later are actually exchanges of dialogue or impressive camera shots of an empty hallway, not just the gore, mind you, which is still very impressive. This shows that the thing was truly the work of someone using all tools at his disposal towards crafting a memorable story. The effects enhanced this film, but they were only part of the full package. As a result, Rob Bottin and John Carpenter are co-MVPs. And then this was the first studio film I ever did, and this was the biggest budget I ever worked with. And uh, the movie tanked when it came out, by the way. It was hated, hated by fans. I lost a job. People hated me. They thought I was this horrible, violent, uh, and I was. <laughs> but uh, now here you are filling a theater. It's really great that you came out for this film. Now, I do know, in the end, who the thing is, but I cannot tell you. <laughs> My overall rating for The Thing is five stars out of five. <laughs> Admittedly, I was somewhat late to the party, as I did not actually see this movie until about 10 years ago on cable. But since then, it has remained one of my favorite all-time horror films. And among John Carpenter's filmography, I would firmly rank it number one, just a bit above Assault on Precinct 13 and They Live. And if you're looking to watch The Thing, it is currently playing on a limited re-release through Fathom Events in theaters, and it is also streaming on Peacock TV. And that ends another absorbing review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.